0: Good morning. Good morning, the praise team greets me loudly, I love it, this, is, this has been truly special for us who have been able to do this live streaming thing all of these weeks, uh, but we, we are so excited to be able to fellowship and worship in person next week, so we, we cannot wait for that to get here. But in the meantime, please allow me to share a few minutes with you to share my heart. We have been talking about spiritual disciplines for many weeks now. And I am talking this morning about a spiritual discipline that I believe is fundamentally, foundationally important to your faith, to your relationship with God. And that is Bible reading, being in the word. And it, it makes me think how important directions are. These, are. these are instructions for how to live life and how important they are. Many years ago, when I was single, I bought a coffee table. And it was, it was a cheap one from, uh, from Walmart. And it was one of those deals, comes in a box, you have to put it together. And I bought this, and I brought it back to my apartment. And with great enthusiasm, I opened the box, poured everything out onto the floor, ignored the instructions because it's a coffee table. It's got a top, it had a drawer, it had a a bottom layer on it where you could put magazines, it had four legs, how complicated could it be? And I began to assemble it, I began to put it together. And about two and a half hours later, I had a pile of parts, I didn't know where they went or what they were for, I had a coffee table and somehow two of the legs were longer than two of the other legs. And, and it, was, it was at an angle, and it, I was so frustrated with it, and I couldn't fix it. And because I hadn't followed the directions, I had used some of the wrong screws in the wrong place, so I couldn't take it back apart and start over. I was, I was so frustrated with it that I, I considered throwing it out the window, and that's not an exaggeration. I actually contemplated picking as much of, of this up as I could and just hurling it out my window to the street below. I didn't end up doing that. I kept trying to fix it and trying to fix it, and eventually I figured, well, maybe I'll look at the instructions. So I flipped through the instructions to the page where I thought I was in the building process and, and read that, and it just it didn't make sense. Nothing fit. The pieces weren't fitting. The tools didn't look like they were the right ones that I was trying to use. And I determined that the instructions didn't belong with this table and that maybe they had sold me a table that was two different table pieces all put together in one box, and that's why it wouldn't fit. And that would explain why two of the legs were different sizes. Well, eventually, after trying to use this coffee table that didn't really work, and I had a drawer that I couldn't really figure out how to attach to it, I mean, the whole thing was garbage, and by now there was no way to return it because I had completely ruined it. Eventually, I picked up the instruction book, and opened it and on page one it said do this first or this table will not go together and that of course is not something I had even bothered to do so the instructions would have saved me whatever amount of money I spent on something that I ended up carrying to the dumpster in pieces because it it didn't work and I think that's how important bible reading is you know, the cornerstone of our faith here at our church and churches all around the globe is the gospel. The story of what Jesus did on the cross, that he gave his life for my salvation, for my entrance into heaven. That is, that is just that is the foundation that we build our faith on. Without that information, without that knowledge, nothing else we do here matters. No amount of giving, no amount of worship, no amount of fellowship, no amount of sharing meals together, no amount of coming together, no amount of teaching, no amount of taking notes, matters if we do not understand what Christ did on the cross. Without understanding God, the gospel doesn't make much sense. Without understanding why he sent his son. Without understanding why the son of God would trade his life for mine, then the gospel doesn't make any sense. And without reading your Bible, you can't understand God. And if you can't understand God, you can't understand what salvation is truly about. You can experience it, but you can't really understand it. A pastor can explain it on Sunday morning, and you can pick up an awful lot from that. But if you don't open your Bible and invest in your own faith, You're not going to get much out of that. I, I believe in churches all over our country. There are people who would call themselves believers, and they're not really Christians. And they don't know enough of God's word to recognize that they're not really Christians. They don't read the Bible, so they don't know what the Bible defines a believer as. So they think the definition applies to them, and they've never looked at the definition. They don't realize that they're just coming to church every Sunday, and they are not heaven-bound. Also in our churches, I think we've got a large population of believers that have had a genuine salvation experience encounter with Jesus, but they are heaven-bound spiritual infants. They've never learned to feed themselves. They have never learned to walk in their faith. They have never opened their Bible and grown as believers And for years and years and years, they take up space as spiritual, heaven-bound infants, and they never grow, and they never share their faith, and they never cause the church to experience any sort of growth or any sort of blessing from their presence. In fact, sometimes they even detract because they don't recognize that they're still a spiritual infant. So I want to share this morning why I think reading the Bible is so important. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. These words of instruction, the, the truth in this book, must not depart from your conversation must not depart from the words you use day in and day out. This, this truth in this book must become a part of your conversation from the minute you give your life to Christ. From then on going forward, do not depart this book from your mouth. Do not depart these words from your conversation. So from now on, that is supposed to be a part of your life, a part of your conversation. Your conversation, all of it, is supposed to be filtered through the word of the Lord. Meditate. You must meditate on it day and night. Still in, still in verse eight. You are to meditate on it day and night. What are some things that we do day and night? Anybody in here feel like you are doing laundry day and night? Paying bills day and night, working day and night? raising your children and you're teaching them things and you feel like you have some of the same conversations day in and day out every day and every night you're covering the same ground over and over again that's how we are supposed to meditate that's how we are supposed to saturate ourselves in the word of the Lord that's how we are supposed to spend time with God day and night it is not a one-time event You don't respond to an altar call and then consider yourself having crossed the finish line. You don't come to church on Sunday and consider yourself topped off for the week. Day and night you are supposed to meditate on God's word. You cannot meditate on God's word if you don't read it. Meditate doesn't mean that you think about what the pastor read. Nothing wrong with thinking about what the pastor read and what the pastor talked about. But you can't meditate on something you haven't read. Carefully observe everything written in it. Everything, all of it. Carefully observe. That doesn't mean you speed read it. That doesn't mean you skim it. That doesn't mean that you just flip through the pages till something catches your eye or a page with a picture on it or something carefully observe, look at it carefully, read it carefully, digest God's word slowly enough that you can understand it. There's not a person listening to me right now that hasn't read something. I don't care if it's a Bible or or anything else, but we've all read something and we've read a paragraph and then realize that we've retained none of it. Our mind has been somewhere else. We've read each and every word, but we haven't paid attention to it. We are given instructions here to observe carefully, to read carefully, everything written in it, so that, for then, at the end of verse 8, for then you will prosper and succeed. Now this isn't talking about then you are going to be wealthy and filled with success. Reading this book is not going to transform your life like some sort of get-rich-quick scheme. But you will become prosperous in your relationship with God. If you know Jesus, that is the goal of your heart. If that is not the goal of your heart to draw closer to him, then you need to be reading your Bible and figure out what that definition of Christianity is and figure out how do you fit into that definition or how do you not fit into it so you can figure that out. Because I'm telling you, a litmus test to decide whether or not you really know Jesus as your Savior, you want to draw closer to him. Prosperity means you will prosper in your relationship to him. You know, I I prosper from my relationship with my wife. I receive things in that relationship, encouragement, love, things that help me to go on when life is hard, things that make me a better neighbor, a better pastor, a better friend, a better man, a better person. I am thankful for that relationship because it prospers me. My relationship with Pastor Steve prospers me. He challenges me. He prays with me. He prays for me. He speaks truth into my life. He encourages me. We laugh together. We sit together in sorrow as we, as we pray together for people who are experiencing tragedy in their life. I prosper from that relationship and I can prosper from my relationship with God if these words do not depart from my conversation, from my life. If I meditate on them, if I dwell upon them, then I can prosper and grow in that relationship with God. And isn't that what we want? Shouldn't that be what we desire? If we want to do life better, if we want to get better at life, and I don't mean better as in more money or a better job or a better husband or a nicer house or a nicer car, but I mean if you want to do better with what you have and be more content and and be more joyful, then you've got to read the word. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 3. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. This is about Ezra reading from the scriptures. He read out of it from daybreak until noon. He read the book of the law from early morning until midday. So that means that he read out loud to the crowd for three or four hours. One of the biggest complaints that preachers get is that they talk too long for a sermon. Can you imagine if your pastor stood in front of you and opened the Bible and read for three or four hours nonstop and then started preaching? Three or four hours and then started to preach on what they had read. Can you, can you just wrap your head around how long that would take? And the people stood and listened. They weren't sitting. They were standing and listening. All the men, all the women, and those who could understand. God's word is for everyone. It doesn't say all the believers. It doesn't say all the, all the men who believed in God, all the women who thought church was important all the people who didn't have something better to do that day, all the people who didn't have to work, all the people who were essential or weren't essential, everybody, all the people listened, all the men, all the women, and those who could understand. You know, so many churches spend so much time focusing on, on splitting, splitting people up by age. And we've got a, a class for the older people, and we've got a class for married people, and we've got a class for teenagers, and a class for preteens, and a class for young children, and a class for toddlers. And, and we do all this division, and that is important, especially for the really young children. But all the people who could understand heard the word of the Lord. Everybody who could understand They didn't say everybody who who could pay attention that long. and They didn't say everybody who wasn't bored listened. Everybody who could understand. A mark of spiritual maturity is the ability to sit with God's word when it bores you. When you are distracted by what is going on in life. Because let's be honest, we are all distracted. We've all got other things going on. None of us has 80 extra hours a week to study God. We've all got busyness. Everybody who could understand, the word is for everybody. Whether you've got time or not. Whether you want to or not. Whether you feel like it or not. The word of the Lord is for everybody. Every man, every woman, everybody who can understand, this book is for you. And, you know, we've got churches today that put zero focus on driving a discipline of Bible reading. Sometimes we do that with teens, and, and, and we just we trade out fun for that. And we spend more time throwing water balloons and, and eating pizza and hanging out than we do talking about how important it is to open God's Word. And that has created a generation of adults in our country since the 1970s or the 1980s who don't read this book. They don't read the scriptures because they didn't start that habit earlier. Many weeks ago, Brother Scott stood up here, and and he gave a testimony, and he just kind of laid his life bare, and he shared a lot of non-church details. And I loved that testimony. And one of the conversations I had with Scott, if he hadn't shared so much of his life, I wouldn't say this right now, but weeks earlier, I was talking with Scott, and Scott had shared to me just what a hard time he has sometimes getting into the book, getting into the Bible. It's such a challenge for him. And he says, I wish I had started that habit years ago, because then it would be easier now. If we don't ever start that habit, we're never going to have that habit. The word of the Lord is for everybody who can understand it. And and in our culture, we've got so many different versions. The the easy-to-read version is literally easy to read. We can understand that. That is very understandable. This is not something that we need a pastor to translate for us. You are going to read through it and have questions. Questions about context. Questions about history. We've got Google, which will tell you an awful lot about that. There are some amazing free Bible commentaries online that can help you sift through some of this Bible history and sift through what all of this means. Yes, that is work. But if you desire to walk closer with Jesus, don't you want to put that work in? To understand what his life and mission is all about. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Faith is a natural result of hearing the word of the Lord. It is assumed that through hearing, it's spoken by somebody, right? I mean, for, for you to hear something, somebody has to say it. So for you to hear the word that is written in the Bible, either somebody has to read the Bible to you or you have to read it on your own. And let's face it, no preacher can read you the entire Bible. We just don't have enough time on a Sunday morning when we gather together that you could get the entire Bible in those little bite-sized chunks. You've got to pick it up and engage with it on your own. Stephen, prior to his his death, verbally gave the Bible story of redemption. Paul used the word to convince many of the Jews in the synagogue that Jesus was the Messiah. And as a result, many came to place their trust in him. Paul asked this question in Romans. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? How can they hear without somebody preaching to them? They could not have heard of salvation if somebody didn't tell them. And how can somebody explain salvation if they don't understand it? And how can you understand it if you don't understand God? And how can you understand God if you don't get into God's Word to learn about Him? Our culture is dying without jesus and our churches are filled with folks who open this bible only on sunday mornings and sometimes they just sit there and let somebody else open it for them and tell them what it means and tell them what it says and then they consider themselves topped off and then they go out there to face a world that they are not equipped to face because they can't discern truth from non-truth because they are not looking at the basic definitions of truth that are found in this book So many people think that Sunday church attendance is the way to salvation. Sunday church attendance is the the way of righteousness. And and, and I'm standing here this morning, I'm going to tell you, Sunday morning church attendance without getting into the word of God on your own, that isn't righteousness, that's foolishness. Because you are fooling yourself into thinking that you are equipped to deal with life, and you're not. You are fooling yourself into thinking you're ready to explain your faith to others, and you're not. You're fooling yourself into thinking that you're growing a relationship with Christ, and you're not. And then you start to think there's something wrong with you, because when life hurts, you don't feel this connection with God. There's nothing wrong with you. You just don't have that connection because you haven't nurtured it. You haven't created it. You haven't found it. It's not that you found it and God's not there. God's there. You just haven't looked in the right spot. You cannot teach what you don't study. You cannot speak about what you don't read. And you can't live what you haven't experienced. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. And I know we are all over the place in, in the Bible this morning, but because we're preaching and teaching about the Bible, we're all over in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of the Lord is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. A knife that can cut to bone and marrow, separate joints and marrow. That is a sharp and strong blade. Sharp alone won't do it. Strong alone won't do it. It's got to be sharp and strong. it It can penetrate as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Two illustrations used to explain. Soul and spirit, that's a spiritual thing. Joints and marrow, that's a physical thing. And in the day that this was written, it was really easy to understand, all of their meat didn't come from going to Walmart or Hitchcock's and looking in the, the frozen food section. All the meat wasn't all packaged up and frozen for them. A lot of times they had to, to, to get their own meat. And that meant they had to slaughter and butcher their own animals. And they understood that that's a lot of physical labor to get meat off of the bone. To cut the marrow away, to cut that deep takes a lot of strength and you have to have the right tools to do it. They understood that. The word of the Lord is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit. This book is not a story. It can penetrate your life to your soul and spirit, but you have to read it for that to happen. You have to open God's word and engage with it for that to happen. Carrying this book is not going to do anything for you spiritually. Sleeping with this book under your pillow is not going to impart its knowledge into you through the process of osmosis while you sleep. It doesn't work that way. All it's going to do is make your pillow lumpy. You can't sit next to this book and have it do anything for you. You can't put this book in your car and ride around with it all day and have it affect your life. Knowing that you own a Bible doesn't really do you any good if you don't open the Bible and read it. I can't tell you how many times I have encountered Christians. Oh, I've, I've, I've got a really good Bible. I know right where it is. It's, it's in the shelf in my closet. We've got a we've got a really good Bible effect. I won't even let the kids touch it. It's on the shelf in the living room and nobody can touch it because it's it's just so nice. And you know what that's that's great, but it's not doing anything for your family at all. All it is then is a is a decoration. You know, we don't like to be judged in life, do we? I mean, every one of us has done something embarrassing or, or something stupid. Or something you thought you were going to be good at and it turns out you weren't, or something that you are good at but somehow in a moment you do it wrong. And we feel judged. We suddenly feel, okay, everybody's looking at me. Everybody is aware that I just messed up. We don't like that feeling, do we? We don't like it when somebody comes up to us and says, hey, good news, you did that wrong and I'm about to tell you all about how wrong you were. We don't love that stuff, do we? We don't like to feel judged. But listen to this verse. The word of the Lord is living and effective and sharper than any double edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The words in this book will help you enter into a relationship with God beyond salvation. You're saved and you're born again and you open this book and it will help you dig into your relationship with God and it can judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. This will help you judge your life and your actions and your decisions before you make them. So you don't have to have that judgment moment where you've made a bad choice and now people are looking at you and you're embarrassed. You can make that choice using God's guidance and then you don't have to worry about having done it wrong because you've done it in a way that honors God. And you know it honors God because you know who God is and you understand what's important to him. If you meditate and study and read and do life with this book, it's going to help you judge your own thoughts and your own intentions before you act. It is going to help you walk around pain. Every one of us has wanted that. Every one of us has said, well, I, I wish I could have known how that was going to turn out. I never would have done it. I wish I could have known what he was going to be like before I married him. I wish I knew how this was going to turn out. I wish I knew what having children was going to be like. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. We all want that. And you know, pastoral frustration, let me just be honest. Having conversations with people who pour their heart on it, I wish I knew what this was going to be like. I wish I knew what the right thing to do was. We've got access to that information. This isn't the answers to the test. This isn't a, a cheat sheet. That you, that you make at home, maybe I'm telling too much about my life, but in high school, once or twice, I would, would make a cheat sheet to hide in my lap where I would write answers on my arm and then I'm taking the test and I've got the answers. This isn't that. This isn't a way to cheat and, and tell you the answers. This isn't some sort of crystal ball. But this is the studying that my teachers always talked about. If I had done that, I wouldn't have needed the cheat sheet, because I would have understood the question and been able to supply the answer. This isn't cheating to figure out life. This is life, and it is going to help you live. Why are we ignoring the word of God that is inspired by the one who knows our heart and our life and our future, and we are not spending time getting to know him and, and reading through the truth laid out in this book that promises to make our walk with him better and promises to make our relationships with other people more Christ-like and more spiritual. As Christians, aren't those the things we want? And they're promised right in here. Why are we not spending more time with this? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is God-breathed. That is, this is, I read that out of the Christian Standard Bible. A lot of versions say Scripture is God-breathed, breathed by God. Just like in the book of Genesis, the, the way God gave life to Adam. He breathed life into him. Breath is something that we all must do in order to keep living. In fact, when somebody stops living, that is one of the first primary vital signs that they, when they stop breathing, that is one of the, the biggest signs that they've stopped living. You must breathe in order to stay alive. And you must breathe in in order to breathe out. And you must breathe out in order to breathe in. You can't just take in and in and in and in and in endlessly. At some point, you have to exhale. And the same with with breathing out. You can't just exhale, exhale, exhale. Sooner or later, you're going to have to take some air in. It has got to go back and forth like that. I I tell teenagers all the time, I've been saying for years, when I pray, that's my chance to talk to God, and when I open his word, that's his chance to talk to me. There's got to be a back and forth. That is what this word breathed means. All scripture is inspired by God and designed to go back and forth between God and the believer. And it can't go back and forth if you don't ever open it, if you don't ever engage with it, if you don't ever use it. God's Word must be interacted with. It must be meditated on. And you must dwell on it and you must think on it. You can't just skim through it. When you read something, you are supposed to pray about it. You are supposed to think about it. You are supposed to, to, to have it in your head when you're walking the dog. Have it in your head while you're, while you're driving the car to work. And you know what that means? That means if you want to be serious about reading this book, you are probably going to have to cut some stuff out of your life. You're going to have to turn that car radio off once in a while. You're going to have to put down your phone. You're going to have to stop constantly filling your life up with TV or with music or, or, or with, with all this other endless chatter and noise that the world provides. And a lot of that chatter and noise is not bad. There's great Christian radio. There's all kind of great Christian books to read. There's, there's even a lot of TV that, that can be uplifting and, and wholesome and encouraging. But if you want to interact with this book, you've got to make time for it. And if you want to think about what you've read, you've got to make time for it. And that means you probably have to make some sacrifices in your life about some of the other stuff that's not important so that you can put some stuff in that is important. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Those four things can powerfully shape our lives and the lives of those around us, but only if we use them. God's Word can teach, it can rebuke, it can correct, it can train us. It can help us teach, rebuke, correct, and train other people, but only if we open it and use it. You can't carry this book around like it's a prop and expect it to be able to do those things in your life. This, this book, the, the book itself is not supernatural. I met somebody once who told me they carry a book in their car at all times in order so they don't have any car accidents. This book doesn't work like that. The book itself is not supernatural. The words in the book can help you understand God and help you create a supernatural relationship with your Savior, with your God. But the key there is you have to do some of that work. Your preacher can't do it for you. Your small group leader can't do it for you. Your youth pastor can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. The, the guy on the radio can't do it for you. The guy on the TV can't do it for you. The book sitting next to your chair while you watch Jeopardy can't do it unless you turn Jeopardy off and open the book and spend some time in it. You cannot teach somebody to drive without a car. You can sit on the porch and you can tell them which, which pedal is which. One means go, one means stop. You can tell them you know, what the different levers do, the blinkers and the windshield washer fluid. Um, you can explain to them moving the gear shift from park down to drive. You can sit on the front porch with them and explain that all day long, and then you would never take somebody who had never driven a car before and give them the keys to your car and say, okay, I explained it to you, go ahead and go do it. You can't teach them if you don't get into the car with them. You can't teach somebody to swim, no matter how good of a swimmer you are, you can't teach somebody to swim if you never get in the water. Now You could explain some truth to them and, and prepare them for what it's going to be like when you get in the water, but you can't sit in the living room and explain how to swim and then let them go jump off of the diving board and hope they figure it out. You've got to get in the water with them. We cannot speak truth into the lives of people around us if we don't know what that truth is. And all too often, we don't know what that truth is because we're not reading it. And then all too often, somebody comes along and they're running for office, or they're a preacher on TV, or they're on the radio, or they've got a blog, or they just get in front of you, and they say something that sounds good, and it sounds true, and you don't know whether it's true or not. You can't tell because you're not in the word of the Lord. Don't take my word for the stuff I say when I'm up here preaching. Get into God's word, and then you can say, Okay, that makes sense. That, that lines up with what I'm reading. Or you can say, uh, Mark, I don't know where you got that from, but that's not in my Bible. Because if you don't know, I could tell you anything and claim it's from this book, and you don't know the difference, and I'm leading you not into a relationship with Christ. You might not be saved, and you think you're saved, and you're listening to me tell you something that's not truth, and you are headed straight to hell because you don't know the difference because you're not reading your Bible. We have got to engage with this book as believers so that we can engage out there with non-believers so that we can engage with each other so that we can correct each other so that we can help each other get better and stronger in our faith we use the word family a lot when we talk about church our church family we're all in this together we've heard that phrase a lot over the last couple of months we're all in this together and we are a church family and and I'm going to tell you Our pastor cannot do all of the spiritual caretaking of this place by himself. He just can't, not because he's not able, but because there's too much of it to do. We all need to be in this together, and we can't be in this together telling each other what truth is if we don't know what truth is. In fact, if we don't know what truth is, when we're talking about truth, we're wrong. And that's not helping anybody. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. The psalmist is declaring that he stored up God's word in his heart. He memorized it. You know, when Jesus was in the wilderness, we've, I've used this example several times. When Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan showed up to tempt him, how did he outwit Satan in that moment he had scripture memorized if somebody memorizes the word of God and they understand the context then they know when they're hearing truth because when Satan shows up next to you he's not going to show up with a pitchfork and a pointy tail and horns growing out of his head and say hey I'm Satan and I'm about to give you some really bad advice boy if he did that that life would be great because then we know, okay, well, I'm going to listen to this guy and then do the exact opposite and I'll be all set. When Satan shows up, we often don't recognize that he's Satan. But if we know truth, we're going to recognize that what this advice is isn't good for us. We're going to know what God desires for us. And we are going to be able to walk away from pain instead of embracing it on the advice of evil because we're going to recognize the source and where it comes from pastors they teach this prosperity wealth and this nonsense about god wanting you to be healthy and this this nonsense that that if you get sick it's because you're not spiritually strong enough and they teach that stuff and and their audience believes it because the audience isn't opening god's word and saying well wait a minute preacher that's I don't think that's what this says. that That doesn't make sense to me. What you just said about me being rich, how come Paul was in prison if God wants all his believers to have a great life? They're not reading about Paul in prison, so they don't even know to ask that question. I'm going to end with a verse out of Job. I have not departed from the commands of his lips, I have treasured the words from his mouth more than my daily food. You know, let me tell you, the difference in your life when you have pain, the difference between finding joy and being constantly disappointed is God's word. It's not going to change the circumstance you're in. When somebody you love dies, when you, when you lose a job, when, when you get sick yourself, when your, your children or your spouse disappoint you, when, when, when somebody fender benders your car, when life hurts you. The difference between finding joy and, and finding crushing disappointment is this book. This book doesn't change that circumstance. You've still got disappointment. But if you can be like Job and you can treasure this word more than the food that you need to survive then you will understand when God tells us to be joyful. He doesn't mean for us to dance and sing when somebody backs into our car that we got to pay for. He doesn't mean for us to dance and sing when somebody we love disappoints us. He doesn't mean for us to dance and sing and high-five people when we lose a job or when somebody passes away. He means for us to find the joy in life that we can recognize if we train ourselves to recognize it by spending time with God's word and realizing that this is our temporary home and that we are not here so that we can experience good things we are here to share salvation with lost people We are not here for ourselves. We are here for him. And when we understand that, we can find joy in our hard circumstances. I wasn't a believer when it happened, but when my grandmother died, my grandfather, at his wife's funeral, encouraged me. How was he able to do that? Because he read his Bible on a daily basis because he recognized that he wasn't walking around this earth to find his own happiness, but he was here to serve God. And he was able to speak some truth into my life in a moment where I desperately needed it. We have got to find the value in this book, and you can't figure that out if you don't open it, if you don't ever read his word. Now, I know what I have said this entire morning. Many of you are sitting there, and you've heard this, and you're thinking, okay, well, that's, that's, that's good. I knew I was supposed to be reading the Bible, but thanks for the reminder. But how do I do it? Well, I am going to tell you that I'm just about done if you want to head up, Pastor. Um, but I am here to tell you that uh, Pastor Steve and myself, we have been spending an awful lot of time talking about how can we in Fresh Start Fellowship help you figure out how to read God's Word, how to understand God's Word. What can we do? And and you know what? We don't have a perfect answer yet. It's not like we can announce that tomorrow starts some sort of, of growth group where you show up and you're going to understand God's Word real easy. We don't know exactly how we're going to do it, but I promise you we are committed to doing it, committed to the point where we're Will We'll change anything or do anything we have to to help somebody who wants to understand God's word better get to a point where they can because that's how important this is to us, this spiritual discipline because both of us recognize that what has happened up there on that cross means nothing if you don't understand it in your life and if you can't explain it to a neighbor who doesn't understand it this is so important, this is this is my heart This is the hardest sermon I've ever preached here simply because I am so afraid that my words are in the way of this important message.